Welcome to the Birthing Ad Bod Podcast. This is a podcast about pregnancy, birth and early parenting. Yay! G'day, how's it going? I'm Steve from the Prepare Foundation. We are a registered charity that helps first-time dads make an awesome contribution at the birth of their child. This is a podcast where we get blokes talking about their experience to share their wisdom with other men who are about to go through the life-altering change that comes with first-time fatherhood. So let's hear about the transition of parenthood from a dad's perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next instalment of the Birth and Dads podcast. Today, we're joined by Matt in Melbourne. How you going, Matt? Good, mate. And yourself? Yeah, good. Welcome. Thank you very much. Um, do you do you feel like just uh, you know sharing a little bit about you, yourself and uh, your family, and you know how you going? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm uh, 31. Um, been living in uh, Croydon South in Melbourne for about four years now. We bought a house, um, got married last year um, after putting it off a few times due to COVID, and uh, recently, yeah, just had our first uh, first baby. So it's about sixteen days old now, and um, yeah, very fresh to it all. Sixteen days, yes, and yeah, you're still counting it in days, which is magnificent. Um, so, a boy or a girl? A uh, little girl called Ivy. Wonderful. Well, congratulations, mate. How are you finding it? No, thank you very much. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, throws your world around a bit. But again, it's, uh, it is the next step and it's also, you know, bloody awesome. It's been an awesome experience so far and, um, it's definitely challenging at times. Um, but that's expected and, um, but yeah, it's unreal. Excellent. Look, we'll just go through a quick, um, you know, get to know you quick hot minute and then we'll get into the, the juicy parts. Um, so would you prefer a forest or a beach? Um, I'm probably more river, to be honest, like river, yeah. Ah, uh, river. I've got to put river in there, don't I? Yeah, forest, river or beach? <laughs> yeah, probably more river. We go up to uh, Yarrawonga usually over the summer and we do a bit of water skiing and that sort of thing. So if I had my preference, it would probably be that. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, well, I could also put in lake, couldn't I? <laughs> it's getting more extensive. Uh, car or motorbike? Uh, car. Yeah. And what's your favourite sport? Uh, favourite sport is probably basketball. Um, I've played that pretty much since I was uh, five years old. So I've done that pretty much my whole life. But I uh, also into golf and um, love my footy as well. Okay. Yeah. Being from uh, Melbourne, you you got to, it's kind of like par for the course. Absolutely. Uh, golf joke. <laughs> Uh, um, and what's your best moment in any of, any of those sports? Um, there's obviously a few around, but uh, probably when I got to go over to the States and um, saw a few NBA games, um, watching Kobe Bryant play and that sort of thing, that's probably a highlight, definitely. Nice. And your travel destination, if money was no issue? <laughs> yeah, probably uh, Santorini. Um, we've been there probably four or five years ago and, yeah, just loved it. Um, the views, the weather, the food and all that sort of thing. And what do you do for work? I'm a uh, sprinkler fitter, so uh, fire protection plumbing. Right, eh? Yeah, so, uh, you know, predominantly in uh, construction and high-rise buildings and stuff like that. Yeah, okay. Industrial kind of applications? Yeah, exactly. Cool. And have you got a hobby? A hobby would probably be golf for sure. Um, I'm slowly getting better every time I play, but... um, yeah, 
probably golf every time I uh, get the chance. I'll probably try and get out there. Not so much anymore or the last couple of weeks. But, uh... Ah, yes, you'll have to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, golf is one of those ones that, you know, it's kind of like uh, because it takes you four hours or more, uh, you kind of, yeah, maybe maybe that's a down-the-track kind of thing. And so, uh, so are you, yeah. are you uh, off a handicap? Um, I recently am. So I'm off 27 at the moment. So I've only recently just started getting the handicap. Yeah, working on getting that down. Slowly getting that down, yeah. And your favourite food? Our favourite food have to be pasta, I reckon. More Santorini, eh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it, mate. Good wholesome meal. Yeah, and uh, what's um, what's your favourite kind of music? Um, I like uh, Coldplay is probably a big one for me. Um, seen them live a few times, and yeah, probably like that style. And how about films? What kind of film genre? I don't watch a hell of a lot of movies, but definitely, um, you know. Movies like uh, Remember the Titans and Coach Carter or The Blind Side, those sort of, uh, yeah, those are probably three standouts for me. So are you more into games? Is that what, like you don't watch films or series? You don't watch TV? Not, not a hell of a lot. Usually I try to sort of, uh, you know, I'll just watch the news at night and then uh, probably taper off. But, um, yeah, if I do have to watch a movie, I probably won't watch a movie twice, if that makes sense. But, yep. um, yeah, sort of more uh, outdoorsy and uh you know, try to keep more active than just sit on the couch. You know. And what makes you laugh? Probably sarcasm and um, probably the boys' uh, group chat that we got going on. There's always a bit of a giggle every day in that. Bit of banter happening? Always, yep. Yep. You've got a free day. What do you do? Before, before uh, obviously, the first one, uh, probably golf, um, walk the dog, uh, go to the gym if I can. Um, but probably at the moment, I can't see... Uh, that happening too much at the moment until we uh, yeah find a bit normality, but yeah, that's probably ideally what would I what I do. Uh, so it, it's probably a little bit early for this question, but um, describe a cute thing your child does. I mean, everything they do is probably cute at that age. Yeah, um, being two weeks old, she's definitely uh, cute when she's asleep, and probably not so cute when she's uh, awake at two a.m. Oh yeah. <laughs> Cool. Um, so w- when it comes to, you know, preparation for becoming a father, you know, preconception type of stuff, did you, what did you do to kind of prepare? Or is there anything? Um, not, not a hell of a lot of stuff. Like, um, well, my wife and I were, you know, pretty healthy and, you know, eat reasonably well and that sort of thing. Um, so we just started sort of tracking uh, her cycle once she came off contraception. Um, that was probably the main thing we did in regards to that. Yeah. Okay, and how long did it take to fall pregnant once you started kind of nailing down that cycle? Um, it took about uh, eight months. Um, yeah, there was a few hiccups at the start. Um, my wife had a they had a cyst in one of our ovaries, so you know that's a you know work away around that, and um, it was yeah just sort of a few things that we didn't expect. But again, you know you hear stories that it can happen after the first time, it happen after the fifth or sixth or seventh and just in our case it obviously took a bit longer but yeah we still got there in the end and how did you monitor the cycle what, what was it that you kind of did your temperature or um yeah that as well but it, a lot of it came down to my wife um she used uh, apps iphone apps um which were pretty accurate it turns out um so yeah she was just more onto that and um she would obviously take uh iron supplements and that sort of thing so obviously you know get everything going and um whatever other vitamins they told her to take her yeah probably folate she was probably on some folate yeah and did you take any vitamins no i didn't no 
And so you find out you're pregnant and can, uh, describe that moment. What, how did it go down? Yeah, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty surreal to be honest. We were, um, yeah, it was sort of, cause it's a, a taken so long. We were sort of looking at, uh, you know, what the next step was. Do we have to, you know, get a few tests or whatever we had to do? And I was uh, actually sitting on the couch one day and I was looking at, um, you know, booking in to go get, you know, a sperm sample done or something like that. And then, uh, literally as I was about to book that, uh, appointment in my wife came in with a positive uh pregnancy test and yeah it sort of just that's that <laughs> very timely mm. <laughs> so yeah it was uh it was unexpected yeah exactly right but um yeah definitely surreal awesome and so and then so you're moving into the pregnancy time and you went for scans did you have to go a, a little bit earlier because of you know any risks yeah, look, we did a early one and, um, it turns out like as soon as, um, my wife fell pregnant, the, uh, cyst that she had that sort of disappeared, which was, yeah, surprising. And we were all expecting to see it there and everything like that. But she had an ultrasound and that had just gone. Um, so yeah, went to the first couple scans and then probably after the second or third scan, I probably didn't go to one until the last two due to work and that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, other than that, it was all my wife really. Yeah, and did you did you go to any of the midwife appointments? Did you have a were you birthing in a hospital? Uh yeah, we didn't uh we went through private. So we did uh at Epworth Freemasons in Melbourne. We did a few courses online. They offered a midwife course online, they sort of basically talked you through it. Yeah, what you expect and you know, all that sort of thing. And being so new to us and uh especially new to myself, like you, you do take in a lot. It's very uh full on at the start, but you know, once you get your head around it all, it does help to do those sort of classes. We did the course. It was just more of a preparation during labor and that sort of thing. What I can do to help my wife and, uh, you know, just certain techniques and that sort of thing. So yeah, we did a few courses, but I wouldn't say that during the actual labor, I'm constantly thinking about, you know, what I learned in those courses sort of thing, but you sort of, uh, pick up on cues like throughout the process. Like you can say, Oh yeah, I know what's going on here or. Yeah, so it gave you a little bit more background confidence going in, kind of going, okay, well, I know what to, what, what's going to happen and up to a point. Yeah, correct. And I think we're like, yeah, exactly right. Like when they're, they're all talking medical terms and that sort of thing in the hospital and not having a medical background, it's sort of, you hear familiar words that you've heard in the course and you can sort of, you know, pick up on those sort of cues, which are good. And did you get involved in, you know, like uh, any birth intentions, kind of, uh, did you make a plan or write anything down? Uh, Not so much. We were sort of, um, we're pretty open. Like we didn't want to sort of have a plan and then if it didn't go to the plan, then we didn't have a plan B or C. So we sort of just left it pretty open. And our, our main thing was just to be, to listen to the professionals and say, you know, you tell us what you think is the best uh, way to do things and, We'll sort of follow you. I think the only thing that we didn't want to do was, uh, for Kate to have, um, my wife to have morphine as a pain relief, just because we obviously during those courses, we'd heard that it does only minuscule effects, but it does affect the baby when they come out sort of thing that makes them more tired and that sort of thing. So we're, um, that was probably the only thing that we, and again, we went hardly against it. It was just a preference. If it came down to it and we had to use it, we had to use it, but we didn't, um, um, yeah, that was probably the only thing. And was, uh, your, sorry, your partner's name is? Kate. Kate. And was Kate monitored by a midwife in the lead up, like an individual midwife, or is it one or two, or is it just one, a different one every time? Um, so being through private, we were able to, um, we had the same obstetrician the whole time. 
um, which was good. And then on the day, because my wife actually ended up getting induced because she was 40 plus six. So during the day, we just ended up having whatever midwife um, was there on shift on the day and that morning. And because it went over two shifts, because it was about 11 hours, 12 hours long, um, we had two different midwives. But we also had a student midwife. So she followed Kate from the very first consult to the very, she was there during um, labor in hospital with us, which was really good. Um, again, she uh, obviously learning, but she sort of having her there was very helpful for me on the day. Um, having the midwife as well, obviously she did most of it, but the student midwife, just it's another pair of hands. They understand what's going on. And yeah, it was actually quite helpful. And how about uh, conversations about parenting or anything like that? Did you guys kind of, you know, talk about your parenting styles in the lead up or was it just all a bit? Um, yeah, look, we did. And it's hard not to sort of uh, talk about it, but I think uh, also like we're generally on the same page with a lot of things. So we sort of uh, knew roughly what we were going to be like or wanted to be like. Yeah, it was more just go with the flow in the early stages and try to keep uh, communication going between us. I think that's probably the main thing because we knew that it was going to be a pretty um, large adjustment for both of us. But yeah, we're both pretty calm people and um, on and off we sort of talk about the future as well. But again, we just can't really talk about it in depth until you're sort of there and ready to go through it. And, and I mean, you're, you're just right at the beginning of, this, of that uh, whole process. So exactly, right. I'm sure that nothing too too uh, drastic has kind of come out as a not know, so difference. much. No, not so much at the moment. And we've just agreed, like when they are get do get to a certain age, we'd love them to you know play sport and uh, get them into swimming as early as you can, and um, you know just broad things like that. But again, nothing too uh, you know nothing too detailed. That's awesome, and so. So moving into the birth space, like what, how did, um, how did, so you mentioned that Kate was induced at 40 plus six. Yep. So, um, yeah, so basically the day, uh, yeah, she was 40 plus six. Uh, we went into hospital at about 7 a.m. when we got her admitted and, um, first half of the labor went really well. Um, the doctor broke Kate's waters, uh, about eight o'clock. So an hour after being in there, they put her on a drip just to release the hormone that uh, induces the labor on. Um, it ramped up pretty quickly um, and uh, soon after, like uh, probably three hours in or probably two hours in after actually being in hospital, um, Kate sort of really started uh, yeah, feeling the um, contractions and that sort of thing. So she wasn't really able to uh, talk too much um, and I just sort of had to you know, pick up on her cues and support her as much as I could. She had a, a TENS machine, which is basically like a, it's an electro, electrode sort of thing that sits on their back and sticky pads and it's sort of... Um, sort of helps with the pain to a point. Look, I'll, I'll work out how to do that. Watched a little uh, YouTube video before we went into the hospital and it was sort of my job when the contractions started just to press a button to sort of when they became more intense, the uh, electrodes that were going into her, they, they said that her lower back, I was just pressing that button when they started and press it when it stopped. So I was able to help in that uh, sort of side of it all. And then once she fully dilated, she... Um, she got put on the bed or got asked to uh, put on the bed because she started most of her contractions. She was uh, kneeling on a big medicine ball on the floor. She just felt comfortable there. So it's really whatever they, where they want or what they want. When she was fully dilated, we got told to, she had to uh, jump on the bed um, and start pushing. And again, it was, you know, tracking pretty well. Um, she did it for probably two hours. She was pushing. Um, and then it sort of got to a point where the baby didn't want to come down the birth canal. It was sort of, uh, yeah, being a bit stubborn um, and it got stuck at the top. And then the lead up to the actual day, the baby was sitting nicely. Um, 
it was uh yeah ready to go facing the right way and everything like that and then it must have happened during she was uh while she was pushing the baby uh flip posteriorly and uh still a head down but it was yeah as i said facing facing forwards yeah yeah um where you get most friction exactly right so um and she got stuck so up until then kate sort of uh she was just having gas and using the tens machine. She was, uh, yeah, managing pretty well. And again, from the start, we weren't against an epidural or anything like that. We just sort of were waiting to get directed. And if the pain did get too much, we were going to go with it anyway. Um, but after the two hours, uh, the doctor recommended that, you know, Kate needed a bit of a break because she had been pushing for so long. They do recommend that you don't push for more than two hours. So yeah, she, uh, got an epidural. Um, which helped her, you know, relax. And they sort of thought, well, if she relaxes a bit, it might help the baby sort of push down a bit further. About an hour after that, doctor came in and said, all right, look, the baby's moved down a little bit more, um, but we're going to have to use uh, forceps. Forceps are smooth metal instruments that look like large spoons or tongs. They're curved to fit around the baby's head. The forceps are carefully positioned around the baby's head and joined together at the handles. And with a contraction and some pushing, an obstetrician gently pulls to help deliver the baby. To finish the delivery. So, yeah, which is fine. We just listened to them. So they got all that sort of set up. They started doing it. And Kate had about two or three pushes. And then they were going to do an episiotomy, which was a little, uh, you know, uh, cut, just to make it a bit easier for uh, the baby to come out. But just as they were about to do that, <laughs> the baby came out pretty quickly. Um, after a couple of pushes and unfortunately uh, Kate suffered a fourth degree tear uh, all the way through and um, which look obviously isn't ideal but again it's uh, it happens and it's just one of those things and um, we're able to obviously still have a healthy baby when they were born and when she came out they uh, she got put straight on Kate's chest and at her first feed they go straight to the uh, nipple just to see if they can uh, latch on quickly enough and have that skin to skin contact and then uh Pretty quickly after that, uh, Kate was taken out to go to surgery. So she was put in the theatre for probably, she was gone for about two and a half hours, which was not what we expected because we always got told, you know, as soon as the baby comes out, you want that skin to skin with the mum and they'll sit there for two to three hours and that sort of thing. And obviously in this case, it didn't really happen that way. So I found myself uh, holding Ivy in my arms for about two and a half hours, which was, uh, I was just sitting in the uh, room where it all happened without Kate there. and. It was very surreal because obviously all this stuff's happening and you're worried about Kate, but you're also, you know, getting to spend uh, the first couple of hours of her life in your arms. And it's probably, yeah, definitely something you won't uh, forget very quickly. You're, you're skin to skin as well? You, you've got your shirt off? Yes, I did, yes. Yeah, nice. Well, yeah, and how did you feel? with Like, how was that just, like you say, it's surreal, but... It was, yeah. It was just, uh, as I said, I, I hadn't really prepared for it because you go through all this stuff and... Your adrenaline's pumping. I can't imagine what Kate's was doing. I was going through the roof. But, you know, I'm standing there going, look, like your senses are so heightened. And you sort of get to that point where, you know, everyone leaves the room because you've got about six or eight people around you and they all run out the room and Kate's gone. And I'm just sitting there with this, you know, this fresh born and you're like, holy crap, you know, <laughs> what are you going <laughs> to, what are you going to do with this thing? But again, it was just so, uh, yeah, surreal. And I, it's one of those things where you, you look back when they grow up and sort of thing and you just say, holy crap, like, the moment that you, you'll never forget, I think. Yeah, and and were, was she calm, your, your baby? Yeah, very calm. Um, so she came out and they uh, obviously put her on Kate's chest and then 
they take her away and they just do, you know, they weigh her quickly, do the head measurements. They give her uh, two two needles, which is just normal. And she does her first uh, first poo, so which is uh, pretty different. Like it's a black sort of tarry uh, substance, I'll call it. Yeah, well, it's called it's called, it's actually called something called meconium. Meconium, that's a, that's right. Yeah, and it is known it is known that it's uh, yeah an ugly black substance that's a little bit gluey. Yeah, it is very sticky. Yeah, so. They sorted all that out, then wrapped her up a bit, and um, then they pretty much just gave it to me and left me. And they, they, the midwives were pretty good. They came in, you know, every sort of twenty minutes just to make sure she was doing okay, and she slept the whole time. And um, those two and a half hours, even though it was two and a half hours and sounds quite long, it flew by. It went absolutely, yeah. And even like as I said before, Kate was in labour for twelve hours, but those twelve hours, like you look back and you're like, holy crap, that was, felt like an hour. You know, there's so much going on and that sort of thing. So, so your your mind is going from you know the little the little one in your arms sleeping to uh, thinking about Kate and what's happening with her. And absolutely, were you getting updated about that? Were they coming in and saying? Yeah, they were really good. They kind of sort of came in and said, "Look, she'll be out soon," or they said, "Oh, look, they're going to have to put her under," and um, that's fine. Look, she was pretty good. Kate's uh, she's got a medical background anyway, so she was pretty comfortable with what they were doing. Me, I've Obviously not medical at all, being a uh, tradesperson. So uh, I was sort of more reliant on just Kate. To, if Kate was cool, then I was fine with it, sort of thing. So good. And how does she? How does she recover? Okay, or she's still recovering. Um, it's obviously been a full tear. It's, they, they say it's about twelve weeks uh, recovery time. It's sort of semi like a uh, cesarean. So yeah, look, she's doing all right. She just can't uh, walk much and that sort of thing. So. I was lucky enough to take three weeks off work, which has helped, you know, just do the stuff around the house and that sort of thing. And you'll notice that, you know, during your first few weeks or days or as I said, I can't go past that because that's where I'm up to at the moment, that you find that, you know, the uh, dad can't really do a whole lot in regards to the baby. Um, so we're breastfeeding, so it goes straight to the mom and that sort of thing. They're usually quite hungry. So, you know, just help her out with, you know, doing the washing or dinner or, cleaning the house and obviously with her tear she needs a bit of pain relief every now and then so just keeping on top of that and uh changing the odd nappy here and there oh yeah you've got to change the nappies and get in there and kind of you know mimic them a little absolutely yeah there's quite a few of them and and bath bath you got that's another opportunity the bath times are, are good and yeah we do the bath so we we are going through private we're able to stay in hospital for four nights um which look to be honest i can couldn't recommend that more um, if you can do it just because you learn it you learn so much in the first two three days um, and again we were we were lucky enough the midwife to come in while we we're staying there and they showed us best temperature for bath and show us how to bath there and um, how to swaddle and how to best way to latch uh, for the mum to feed and just those little tricks of the trade sort of thing that you know you Again, you can do as many courses as you want, but until you're actually doing it, yeah, it's a lot easier to be shown. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of the, you know, it's the cheat sheet. <laughs> exactly right. So you mentioned um, Kate was in labour for about 12 hours. Yep. And you've you've also said that one of your kind of key roles was uh, as the TENS monitor, but was it what was there any, what else were you doing? Yeah, as I said, like uh, pretty early on when the contractions become pretty, uh, pretty heavy and that sort of thing, Kate was sort of uh, stopped talking a whole heap. Um, so you sort of had to read the room a little bit and uh, see what she, what you thought she needed and that sort of thing because she's not going to tell you. Yeah, I was sort of uh, running around getting her water when she needed it. Uh, I just had a bottle there. I uh, had obviously the tens machine, as you said. Um, 
I was getting um, uh, wet face washes just to have on her head because she got quite warm doing it, have some on her neck and on her head, and they got heated up pretty quick. So every now and then, probably every two or three contractions, I was going into the bathroom, wetting some more, bringing them back out, and that sort of thing, just keep trying to keep her cool. But again, it's it's more just reading the room. Like she'll definitely tell you if you're not doing something right. She won't tell you if she uh, you are doing something right. So you just got to you know read her cues and um, obviously listen to the midwife as well because they've been doing it for so long. So you let her do her thing, and if you can help them by any way, um, I was actually where I was sitting. I was sitting next to this little uh, little cabinet where they had all the um, I think they call them blueies. It's like a pads, like big fold out pads um, that they uh, change every so often because there's obviously a bit happening so I was just handing her them and being right next to it I'd just get them out when she changed one folded it open for her and just things like that pretty much you just got to do anything you can because again they're not going to really tell you as much what you they want you to do they'll tell you probably what you what they don't want you to do but um yeah there'll come a point where they kind of you know go into labor land or hormonal haze where they kind of disappear and trans transition state and you you're saying anything um, I was, it was more just saying, look, you're doing really well, keep going, you know, that sort of thing. You're picking up on what the midwife is saying to her and you're just repeating that. Um, definitely positive vibes. But again, I didn't really have to. She goes, as you said, she goes into like a bit of a trance and, you know, they're so focused on something else that you sort of, anything you say or do is probably not even going in their, their head anyway. So that's why I sort of every now and then I'd hold a drink bottle up to her mouth and she'd, you know, realize it's me and she'd sip on that or. There was, I think she must have been going through the transition phase, which I think was just before the baby's about to come, essentially. And um, Yeah, the transition is the most intense uh, part of labour, yeah. Yeah, she was probably, uh, would have been just going through that. Um, and she asked me to, there's a pressure point on her um, on her hand, just in between the thumb and the finger there. Oh, yeah, so you used acupressure on her hand? Yeah, nice. Yeah, she, she just, she actually said to me, she like pushed the uh, point on my hand, so every contraction... That came on, I started pressing it, um, and almost broke my finger by doing it because she wanted me to do it pretty hard, but she just wanted, that's what she wanted. So you just, you know, you try to do that as well. So I was managing that. I was doing the uh, tens and every now and then. And it was funny just before the epidural came in, uh, she uh, got injected with epidural. Um, I was talking to the anesthetist uh, and he was just telling me what was going on and everything. And I'd missed the contraction by, uh, and I wasn't pushing her pressure point and only time the whole pregnancy she actually uh, turned to me and said what the fuck are you doing <laughs> got in trouble there right eh? yeah missed one mm. yeah but uh look again you just got to read the room yeah i mean that is the best advice possible really you know there's the time when yeah when she is disappearing into that trance it's it's just kind of gauging that idea that you, yeah let's be silent now at the moment she doesn't need any encouragement she's not really tuning into that and exactly you right. know, taking her out of that trance is not what you want to do and exactly yeah but then she would wake up during transition and kind of be all of a sudden she's you know back in the room and uh roaring yeah absolutely roaring yeah all right so uh, how about leaving the hospital and you know and coming home and how was that experience yeah, it was, uh, it was daunting. Um, cause you, obviously, obviously we stayed in hospital for four days. So you, you know, you come quite uh, comfortable there and you know, you've got help if you need it, that sort of thing. And, um, on the day that we left, you know, we we're all for it. We were keen to get home. And then on the drive home, you're sort of driving, you know, 30 Ks under the speed limit because <laughs> you didn't want to speed or not that you speed, but you know, that sort of thing. So, um, going really slow on the way home and, uh, yeah, just it was, Again, surreal, just walking in the front door of your house and you sort of sit there and you go, well, 
you know, the first day essentially of the rest of your life sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. We're home. We've got a baby. What next? Yeah, yeah. What do we do now? <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was pretty much the feeling on that day. But again, it's sort of, you pick it up pretty quickly. And if you've got supports around, you've got people who are, you know, visiting and coming and helping out? We've had quite a lot and we've got lucky enough to have family nearby. So they're about, you know, 15 minutes drive away and they're popping in and out here and there. We've got a lot of friends around. So they've dropped off meals, which is the best thing in the world probably because I'm a terrible cook and Kate can't really cook too much at the moment. So, yeah, probably advice is uh, never turn down food if someone offers you to cook your meal or something like that because uh, our freezer's packed. and uh, Absolutely. Yeah, get them doing the dishes as well, mate. And, and you know, these first few weeks are the, the only time you can probably reach out and ask for that legitimately. <laughs> and how's the, the sleep going? Are you getting lots of sleep? Yeah, look, um, the first few nights, like, they do sort of on and off cluster feeding, which is basically they want to feed a lot. So the first night was really good. She slept for probably four-hour blocks, which is really, really good. Second night, she was up every hour wanting to feed. So, you know, it changes a lot. Um, but probably in the last, probably, yeah, probably week, she's been uh, pretty consistent with uh, probably three hourly, feeding every three hours or so, two and a half to three hours. Not saying that that's a lot of sleep for you, but, um, yeah, she'll let you know when she wants to wake up and uh, get fed. So, yeah, it is tough. That's probably the hardest thing is uh, adapting to the sleep at the start because, you know, that's when, you're tired that's when you start getting cranky that's when you start sort of uh not communicating and that sort of thing so that's probably definitely the um the hardest part but again you just try to find you know ways around it like sleep when she sleeps so she, obviously the baby sleeps a lot um even though it may be in two or three hour blocks if she sleeps during the day and you're lucky enough to be home try and get a couple hours on the couch or go to bed and put her next to you or something like that and you know just sleep when they can and I think probably the first, what we found is the first two weeks so far is, you know, just a survival sort of mode. You just try to get by and get through what you can and hope that it regulates semi soon. <laughs> yeah. And once it regulates, it'll change again. And then you, you know, you'll kind of get used to that. And then as, as you've probably heard, it'll change again. And <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. And that, that's probably the hardest thing because I'm, I'm very routine based. I'm, you know, I love my routine and been uh, definitely thrown the deep end not having a routine and I think it's going to continue on so that's probably another adaptation I got to get used to yeah well well look um I'd encourage you to kind of keep on talking and kind of you know looking towards working as a team as much as possible and even although you you know you think that maybe at right at this point you're kind of like oh there's not much role for me but there certainly is and you know, if you get if you get nice and close, at one one foot away from their eyes, and they they start to open their eyes, and your voice is there because they know your voice. Yeah, and you know you, that attachment is really really important at this point. Um, yeah, awesome. So, what's the what, what's some you know what are you enjoying so far? Um, so, best parts uh, probably seeing them you know change every day pretty much, and they do say it goes quick, but you don't realize it until you're doing it. Like. As you said, just then, like they open their, start to open their eyes and, um, they look around more and they're more alert and, uh, you know, they start growing more hair or they sort of start, um, hearing noises and that sort of thing and jumping to noises and just that sort of thing. So that's probably, yeah, a really cool thing. And then you go the opposite way and you go to the worst bits. It's, uh, as I said before, like the, the sleep is hard. You can't go past that. The pressure that it puts on the relationship, not being, not be, not having the sleep behind you. Um, you know, you get snappy at each other and you really got to work a bit harder to just sort of realize that you're both sort of going through it and you, you know, you're both tired and 
you just try to keep the peace as much as you can. Yeah, and it, it is that that uh, curiosity of discovery as well, because you know your baby is trying to communicate with you. When yeah, and I think that you you start to learn what they're talking about, what they're communicating with you, and and so I think that's the you know that's a key to Absolutely. kind of realise that this is all just a you know a process of of that discovery, and um, you'll you'll work it all out. And like I say, that it'll it'll change. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Have you, and so you say you've got other mates around, so that have also recently become dads. Yeah, so I've got um, I've got quite a close group of mates. It's probably about ten of us. Um, and recently, yeah, it just sort of all happened at once. We got uh, over the next sort of we had one born in January, then we had ours born. We've got one getting born today. She actually just went into labour today. We've got um, one in August, one in November, and one in December. Oh, that is so good. You're so lucky, mate. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. So it's as I said, it's lucky to just have that group and you can bounce ideas off each other and you know, let them know what works, what doesn't and what to try, what not to try. And also just to have, you know, the kids, you know, already have sort of a, a semi friendship group as well just to grow up in. Yeah, yeah. It it really really is fantastic. And um yeah, well congratulations. You've crossed the threshold into fatherhood now. You've kind of, you know, you've you've um made the journey. Uh what have you got any advice for guys who might be listening in and kind of, you know, about to, to do that or are they, they're, you know, going through pregnancy at the moment? Yeah, look, I think, uh, as I said earlier, like you, you can do as many classes, read as many books as you want, but, it, you know, you'll always find your way of doing things. Um, you, you'll get a, a shit ton of advice. Everyone's always going to tell you how to do what, but it may not be, you know, relevant to the way, one, you may want to do it or two, your baby not may not um you know react to that so you just got to find your your own niche and do what works for you and you work that out pretty quick what they do like and even though the baby can't really talk or uh you know give you many cues you know if they're crying they're obviously unhappy and they want something so you know you just got to try and problem solve um definitely a big shift in the relationship uh with your wife and you know i think you fight you go through a fair bit as a dad but the the what the uh the women go through is just next level um, that's probably the main thing you got to try and acknowledge and realize the most is not only are they sleep deprived and that sort of thing. They've also given birth, but also their body's gone through another change, gone back to semi normal, but now they're having to breastfeed and that sort of thing. So keeping in mind that, yeah, you're going through a change, but their changes are probably a bit, bit more, uh, gnarly than yours. Try to help as much as you can around the house. Um, and yeah, just, you know, just little things like emptying the nappy bin or, restocking the nappy drawer or making sure there's wet wipes or doing the washing and that sort of thing. Again, that'll shift when I go back to full-time work because obviously I've been off for three weeks and it's a bit easier, so that'll be another shift. So, again, I think more more so just keeping the communication. That's probably the main thing with your partner. But, uh, yeah, they're probably the main things I've noticed over the past couple of weeks anyway. Not, not to say that I'm a professional, but... <laughs> oh, mate, well, that was that's pretty. That was pretty comprehensive and brilliant advice, honestly, for a for a guy who's you know just two weeks in. But um, yeah, uh, well done. It sounds like you're on top of it so far, and uh, you know, wish you well uh, going forward. And um, thanks so much for for joining us today and sharing your your wisdom with our listeners. Good on you, mate. No worries at all. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, Matt. I'll see you. Thanks, mate. See you Bye. later. I'd like to acknowledge the Darawal people as the traditional custodians of the land upon which this podcast is recorded. And I pay my respects to elders past, present 
and emerging.